podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. All right, let's begin. This is episode 54 of the Inside Tri Show, bringing you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. I'm Helen Murray, and this week, well, I'm a little bit scared because I'm the one being interviewed. It is to celebrate the first anniversary of this podcast. Oh my God, how time flies. I can't believe that it's been a year, and I really wouldn't have got here without you listening and without the support at some point over this year from Sports Tours International, Orion Connect, Resilient Nutrition, 33Fuel and Comfuel.co.uk and also from my patrons. And any new and existing patrons are invited to a virtual meetup with me. It's going to be on Friday the 11th of December. It's going to be mulled wine and mince pies. Yes. So, if you are an existing patron, I'll be in touch. If you would like to sign up to be a patron, head over to patreon.com forward slash inside try show. And yeah, as it's virtual, you will have to bring your own mince pie and beverage. Sorry about that. And I'll remind you a bit later on. Oh, and a heads up. Wednesday the 23rd and Wednesday the 30th of December, there will be no traditional Inside Try Show podcast. I am going to take two weeks off over Christmas. Keep an eye on your feed. Make sure you subscribe at insidetryshow.com forward slash listen because something might drop into your feed, but there will be no regular shows on the 23rd and the 30th of December. Yanis, welcome along. Glad you enjoyed the Nikki and Vicky episode. Seems like lots of you did. This is the Nikki Bartlett and Vicky Holland episode from last week. If you have not heard it and you need a bit of yeah, lighthearted relief, go and check it out. It was very, very funny. Pete Nash said it was brill. I laughed so much listening whilst walking Shelley. That's the dog. Hannah, she and I had a mutual over Twitter today at Inside Try Show, actually, kind of helping each other to get out the door for a morning run she said I felt good I listened to the Nikki and Vicky podcast it was hilarious the run flew by and yeah she and I both finished by a bakery or somewhere where you could get a fresh croissant for a treat Jeremy said he listened to it whilst doing 10k threshold on the treadmill nice Fenella language she said, can't imagine you were ever stuck for something to talk about. No, correct. Trevor, it made a boring drive home enjoyable. Grace, I don't want it to end. Katie Ferguson, this was a wonderfully fun podcast to listen to. Full of energy, enthusiasm and honesty and a lot of laughter. She said, I particularly enjoyed the section around managing your approach to social media. Oh, and the nights out memories. Felicity, I'm only halfway through and you've only gotten about two sentences in, Helen. Wow, they can talk. Joe heard it on the turbo, as did Nicola. Joanna said, I've just treated myself to a lunchtime run and listened to this. What a joy. Always loved the way that Nikki comes across on social media and how she interacts with age groupers. And then mouth of Tyna Quathlon simply said, and breathe. Time for this week's interview. So, to celebrate the first birthday of the Inside Try Show, we've turned the tables on me. It's really weird being on the other side 
of the, not the other side of the microphone, but the other side of the interview. Uh, yeah, it was, it was quite, I don't know. I, I said to the person doing it, so the person doing it is a lovely guy called Rich Brady, who back in July or August helped me out with the marketing side a little bit of the podcast. And yeah, it was so, so helpful. And he said, Helen, why don't we do this for the first anniversary? So I said, yeah, let's do it. And I'm a little bit scared, to be honest. It's a bit nerve wracking because you might think, I don't know what, I don't know what you might think. You might think it's really dull. It, it, It's not like last week's podcast that I can tell you, but maybe it will give you a bit of a better insight into me, the podcast and yeah, my background and quite a lot of the stuff that kind of goes into it and things like that. So yeah, a little bit different for you, but variety is the spice of life, isn't it? So yeah, this is Rich Brady interviewing me. To begin with then, I want you to imagine that there's a brand new listener listening to this episode. Could you give a bit of an introduction to yourself and the show? So I'm Helen. I live in the northwest of England. I absolutely love triathlon and I first got into it in about 2011, having always been more of a runner, a bit of a plodder. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest about that one. And, And then the actual podcast side of it, well, I started doing a triathlon podcast now six years ago. So did one for five years and then about a year ago, jumped ship and decided to do my own podcast inside try show and that is where we are now <laughs> yeah and that's um that's quite significant so that we're coming up to the 12 month anniversary which is why we've turned the tables on you and we're speaking to you um oh, nerve-wracking rich to celebrate <laughs> so what was the reasons for starting your own show uh, i guess i so I've got a background in journalism and broadcasting and the favorite bit for me is talking to people. Mm-hmm. I don't have an agenda. I don't have coaching to sell. I don't have, you know, I, I don't want to have a, a bitch or a moan or anything like that. And I just wanted to do my own to have a bit more control and more importantly, to actually properly share people's stories. So do amazing interviews. And I want it to be inspiring for people listening. I want it to be entertaining. And then I also want to help teach, but through other experts. So not necessarily through myself, but through the likes of strength and conditioning people or maybe top experts in physiology or whatever it might be but at the end of the day I'm pretty I'm a pretty chilled out person and I like I like talking to people that is that's the crux of it really I like talking (laughs) (laughs) I think we have that in common yeah (laughs) and there's there's probably lots of people out there that have tried to start a podcast or thinking of starting a podcast that are coming from the same kind of angle that you are but securing elite athletes and top level guests isn't easy so how do you choose who you're going to speak to and and how does that kind of interview come about because that they must be in quite high demand some of the people that you speak to are you know they're top level athletes 
how do you secure them for an episode? I think that is an excellent question because, and, and I have definitely not been asked that one before. So I think a big part of it is my background in journalism already. So I would know, you know, if you're working on a, for example, on a national breakfast show as a producer and someone says, right, we need a guest on this tomorrow, you learn pretty quickly how to get those contacts, how to make those guests and how to yeah, try and get them on. Clearly, I don't now have the BBC behind me and it is a little bit harder saying, oh yeah, I'm from this podcast that no one's ever heard of and um, it's just me doing it and, you know, it is not the a BBC platform. But because I already had established quite a few relationships mm. with people over the past five years, that has definitely helped. I know a few of the agents... So I might go to them for some of the bigger names, but there's, you know, there are quite a few no's as well. So people might say, you know, oh, you should get a good example would be you should get Ali Brownlee on mm. and other people might have done that previously and pestered, 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 pestered. I would say I've been trying to go about it a very different way for a number of years. <laughs> One day it might happen. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, and I think it is establishing those relationships with people, establishing trust, and also knowing that when they come on, they're either going to hopefully have a bit of a giggle and also get their story across. You're like, I'm not out to trip people up. I'm I'm really not. It's more what makes you tick. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be how I go about some of them. So and, and at the moment, I'm thinking quite a lot, right, what do other people maybe want to hear? What things do I sometimes think about? So for example, strength and conditioning recently yeah. that we had on, I was like, right, I think we should definitely do something on that because it's quite a confusing area. So who do I want to get on? And then I probably had a, a list of a couple of people, but I was like, right, that's who I want on. I'm just going to contact them and email them and see if they'll be up for it. And then something like, just as an example, let's go for Vincent Luis. Well, that would have been through someone else. I would have said, look, I don't suppose they might be willing to come on the podcast sure no worries here it goes Mm -hmm. really good i'm going to pick up on a couple of things you mentioned there one was ali brownlee and then you mentioned that you with the strength and conditioning aspect you had a few people so you targeted a few people so one of my one of my questions which is now going to be a follow-up to this is that who's on your hit list (laughs) so going to your second year now who would you like to to get in for the 2020 to 2021 12 month period I should probably find my notebook for you, shouldn't I? And then you can see my notebook. <laughs> so I've been trying for Sebi Keenley for about 10 months. I'm still trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ali Brownie would, uh, and, and Johnny as well. Johnny, I spoke to briefly a couple, two years ago, maybe. Um, and I, I did interview them both before London 2012. That's all where I have. So I have interviewed them before, just not on the podcast. Uh, Daniela Reef would be on it. Nicholas Spirig would be on it again. I'd like to speak to Ironman Wales winner, Simone Mitchell. Uh, she knows that as well. We've been chatting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so hopefully that will happen. Um, I'd like to get some of the triathletes who will be heading to the Olympics 
they would definitely be on my list. And then sometimes other people just crop up into my head, maybe. Uh, I've definitely put the feelers out there to speak to someone in January, actually, who's, again, an expert in her field all about like periods and the menstrual cycle and training. So that will definitely be happening. Someone else on mindset in the run up to Christmas, but we'll probably put that out in January. So constantly my head is like whirring. I would really like to get Fiona, I can't remember her surname, who won the ride across Europe and just beat all the blokes. I'd love to get her uh, as well okay, at yeah. some point. Yeah, I think like some of the amazing American female runners as well and Gwen Jorgensen's always been on my list but I've, I've never got anywhere with that either <laughs> well, maybe so sometimes sometimes you win and other times you definitely do not win um and you just keep uh, keep plugging away and then I, I think as well just some of the most inspirational interviews are the ones with the likes of Sam Perkins, who the the guy with motor neurone disease, um, Jodie Jones, who swam the channel, we had her on earlier this year, or someone like Luke Grenfell Shaw, who is living with stage four cancer and currently cycling to Beijing on on a tandem. So people like that who, yeah, you listen to them speak and it makes you maybe reassess some of the things that you worry about or think about. Yeah. So... Sometimes, I guess, from an outsider looking in, it's a podcast about triathlon, isn't it? But when we first met a few months ago and we had a chat about various different things, you said, oh, it, yeah, it's a tri- triathlon podcast, but it's not for geeks. And I asked you to kind of clarify that for me. And the, you've mentioned a few things in, in that last answer that kind of leads us into that. You talked about mindset. We talked about um, periods and the impact of that on, on women in sport. Can you tell the listeners what you mean by when you say that this, yes, this is a triathlon podcast, but it's not for geeks? <laughs> like, Or not just for geeks, we should perhaps say. Yeah. But it's not for geeks, but it's not just for geeks. Yeah, I just, I want it to appeal to a wider audience. So, for example, my mum's friend listens to this podcast when she goes on her walk She's in her 70s. She's never done a triathlon in her life, but she messaged me after the Chrissy Wellington interview and just saying, wow, what an incredible woman. And that's what I want it to be. It's more, I mean, there are different podcasts out there for for different people, but I want a lot of people to be able to relate to what they hear through, through those stories, through those people, through those athletes, rather than too much focusing on like the numbers or the watts or the power and that makes certain people tick but I think that then yeah for me that isn't what makes me tick I would prefer to find out what makes someone else tick (laughs) you know yeah so that's I think that's what I meant by that like if you know if you're just bothered by numbers and uh, all the, the more like geeky side of it you might like listening to this but you equally you really might think it's a pile of tripe <laughs> I don't I doubt anybody listening would think it's a pile of tripe <laughs> 
we've spoken about previous guests you've had and and people on the hit list. Um, but what listeners might not realise is that you you manage to get a new guest, a new podcast out every week. This isn't a monthly podcast. You manage to interview, prepare, produce, and um, distribute a podcast with fantastic athletes every week. That is no mean feat. So can you talk a little bit about that process on, on a kind of a weekly level, how you manage to schedule that? Yeah, it's it's quite hard work. <laughs> it's quite hard work. And I put way more time into it than what am I trying to say? Basically, it's it's a work of love rather than actual like financial gain from it. Like I would love to make a bit of money from it. At the moment, it's the patrons who support it that do kind of help cover that. And that then would help cover things like, I don't know, my microphone or what we're using now to record this interview or the hosting of the podcast and Canva for for the, all the social media stuff. So there's all those costs involved. And some people would say about, you know, they get annoyed with um, sponsors and things like that. And I'm still trying to sort out the sponsor side of things. I don't, but it's like, if I don't have any of that in there, then genuinely I would be completely and utterly losing money from doing it. So that's just like the background to to that side of it. But in terms of how I put it together and the amount of time that goes into it, it's kind of embarrassing quite how much time and effort I do put into it. So <laughs> oopsie. But anyway, Mondays tend to be in the morning, okay, I'm going to try and get a lot of social media stuff done for it. And then I will try and actually record the podcast. So that means I will have already done the interview, but then it's about putting the show together. So yes, I have the interview in the middle, but then there's me chatting before and after the interview and dropping in the different elements. I kind of do have a vague script because I'm not great at just going completely off the cuff, but I do try to make it as conversational as mm-hmm. possible. So like I'd be talking to you now. So I stand in the room when I'm recording and I do try to imagine that I'm talking to one person or I am talking to you as a listener as I'm recording it. So that's kind of what happens on a Monday. But then I'll also try and get maybe one or two interviews done. So for example, after we've done this, this afternoon, I'm going to be doing another interview And then there'll be a few more bits of social media. So I think in total, it's probably about, I mean, it's at least a day and a half of work, Mm -hmm. at least, I think. And so it would be like, (laughs) if if you looked at doing, like, (laughs) pay for that, I mean, it's a joke. (laughs) I I don't, you used the term embarrassing before. I don't think you should, I don't think it's embarrassing at all. I think it's testament to how much you enjoy doing it and that really comes across in in your social and when you're speaking to people too and I wonder if that's how you manage to secure some great guests because they they can feel that come across and they know how much you're doing it for you know you're not out to do it to make millions because there's just not millions to be made off the back of it and I really think that 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 help that comes across in everything that you do so yeah don't be embarrassed by it that would be my oh, thanks. thanks, Rich. <laughs> I, it's um, no, I do, I do love it, and I, I think that's it. I think if you love doing something, 
then it makes a massive difference. And when you stop loving doing something, then honestly, just stop and do something else. I think I've 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 completely learned that over the last few years that it's okay to move on from things. And even with say like the BBC, you know, that was a massive part of my life for a decade. And it was all I wanted to do. I wanted to work for BBC Sport. I wanted to work for Five Live. I worked my ass off to do that, to get there. It was amazing at the time and the opportunities that I had. But then, you know, there'd be those days that started to creep up more and more. And I'd look around and I'd think, I I don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to be here. And then you get miserable. So I think generally in life, yeah, if you're passionate about something, bloody hell, go and do it. Just go and do it. I'm going to talk, I'm going to quiz you a bit more about what you've done previously in a second. But first of all, I'm going to put you on the spot. And I don't know whether you anticipated this question or not. But to date, looking back over the last twelve months, who was your favourite guest? You know what? I hadn't I hadn't anticipated any questions because I thought, no, we're just going to do this as a chat. Oh, that's a oh, that's really difficult. That is so so difficult. I knew it would be difficult. <laughs> yeah, because you you um bit worried about offending anybody who you don't say. Oh yeah, that was my absolute favourite. A few people who I genuinely genuinely loved talking to and having on would have been hannah grant performance chef mm-hmm. yeah i just thought she was like a fantastic character and really good fun to chat to and and we spoke a bit before we hit record and a bit after we hit record as well yeah i, I always love chatting to chrissy and, and learning from chrissy wellington and um, so those two would definitely be up there but Every week I kind of say, wow, you know, I've loved doing this interview because genuinely I do. (laughs) And it's sometimes the ones who you maybe don't expect to be as brilliant as they are. And then you come away from doing the interview and you're like, that was amazing. So someone like Vincent Luis, he was, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Now you've spoken to Chrissy previously, haven't you, in a previous life? Yes, yeah, previous life. Ago, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did that come about? So 2009 was when I first met Chrissy Wellington. And I was, at the time, I was doing some shadow shifts at BBC London. So just working for free for a couple of days, basically trying to get my foot in the door. And the sports editor there, a guy called Pete Stevens is such an amazing guy and just has given so many people an opportunity and he must have seen something and and let me um do some shifts and things and anyway he was like oh there's this thing sunday time sports woman of the year do you want to go along to that helen and i was like yeah yeah sounds great (laughs) (laughs) and so she was one of the shortlisted people and um i was just like i don't really know who this person is and this was 2009 yeah, didn't really know who she was. She went and won the damn thing. I, I interviewed her and I remember I've probably I've probably got the interview somewhere actually. I might have it, right? Oh, if I can find it. That would be cool. We'll play it out. If I can find that interview, we will play that out. Um I really do think I have it. And I just think, oh, aren't you mad for doing an Iron Man? Was probably one of my questions. Like, what is it? Why why would you want to be on a bike for and I definitely said 110 miles rather than 112. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, that that was there. And then and then I think the next time, oh God, was when I was working for Five Live. And um <laughs> I, I don't think I've told this one before. Chrissy knows this, but other people don't. So at the time it would have been sports personality of the year and there were no females on that shortlist and this is very typical of um rolling news programs so there's basically a bunch of um journalists working to a particular program so this was five live drive and they'd say right at 550 we want to do something on that the lack of females Mm -hmm. so we need a guest why don't you get someone who's spoken up about it okay and I would have arranged to have her on and I remember she was in America at the time and then you know at like probably about 49 so 549 they'd say we haven't got time for that item anymore drop it ditch it and you're just like oh my god (laughs) Oh no, so then you have to say to that person, I'm really sorry, we haven't got time to have you on anymore. And I just felt acutely, acutely embarrassed. But yeah, that was the second time that I would have had uh, contact with her. <laughs> so how do how does someone that's interviewing Chrissy for the first time with no knowledge of um, triathlon or Ironman distances, as you just uh, admitted to then, go on to not only do a podcast about the sport but also to take part and actually start doing triathlons as well was it that interview that triggered your interest in the sport or did other things happen to get you more involved I'd I'd love to say it was that interview and it it may well have been um so I interviewed I oh it's a so the reason I entered my first triathlon, which was in 2011, was because I injured my knee and I went to see a physio and they said, right, you can't run. So like I say, I had always been a bit of a runner, but more of a plodder. He said, you can't bike because at that point I was using a really crappy bike that I had had since I was 14 just to cycle to work. He said, you can swim. And I was like, oh God, like I had swim when I was younger probably up until about the age of 11 a member of Wrexham Swimming Club and I was like oh I don't really like swimming it's really boring but I thought right if I'm going to swim I'm gonna have something something at the end of it I'm gonna have a goal to aim for so I entered a triathlon and I think I already knew that I wanted to do a triathlon so I don't know if that was Chrissy I don't know if that was people I had mixed with in Geneva who were maybe doing it but I still thought they were all mad but yeah, I entered it. And then I had a bunch of friends at, at that time who were all a bit crazy. And we were doing a lot of running, a lot of coastal runs. I had started to think, oh, I want to run a bit further. So maybe doing a bit of dipping my toes into ultra running. Mm-hmm. And then long and short of it, a bit of alcohol bullied into doing a half Ironman. And I was like, right, well, if I'm doing that, you guys are going to come and do a cross-country ski marathon with me. So that, and that was the deal, and that was how it all began. And then it's just, yeah, grown from there, really. Joined a tri-club. That was in Nutsford, was it? it? Tri-club that you yep. joined? Yeah, Nutsford tri-club. So when I moved north to, well, to the northwest, when I finally, finally got a job at BBC Sport in, it would have been November 2011, I moved from London where I'd been for about a year, yeah, up towards Manchester and joined Nutsford Tri Club and a bunch of inspiring people around me, a bunch of crazy friends, yeah, all mixed together. 
what's the result? <laughs> Just a bit of an addiction to swimming, biking, running, and lycra. And cake. Cake, yeah. We'll come, Always we'll come cake. back to cake a bit later on. <laughs> um, out of the three disciplines, do you have a favourite? I would previously have said running, and I'd still say I'd, I'd really do love running. The bike, I've never felt particularly strong on the bike, but on a sunny day, mm-hmm. if I'm, I don't know, cycling through Italy or something like that, like there's nowhere else I would rather be. But on a sunny day in the UK, get me running along a coastal path and I am a happy Helen. <laughs> and then swimming, I go through a love-hate relationship, I think. At the moment this year, it's been quite difficult, I think, with swimming because it's felt like there's been a massive backward step through not swimming for a while. Mm -hmm. But then recently when the pools had been open, I had got back into a bit of a groove and then I really like, I do like an early morning swim. So yeah, I don't, I don't hate any of it. I love it all. Uh, (laughs) Just, I like being active. I like moving. And um, yeah, the idea of a, a long sunny bike ride or a, a long run in the sun, that's happy days for me. You just touched on the fact that we're living through a global pandemic, mentioning that the pools have been closed and then they reopen and they're closing again. How have you had to adjust your training over the last 10 months, six months, eight months, or however long it's 2020 has been? Yeah, God, it feel, I know. It, it feels like it's been... Four years. Yes. <laughs> but then at the same time, I'm like, how have we got yeah. to where we are now in this year? It, it's just mad. So, yeah. So at the start of 2020, I had targeted the Lakesman Half, which is a half iron distance race in the Lake District. Then with my other hat on, which is my cancer and exercise rehabilitation hat, I sat with an amazing young woman while she was having chemo. And we were talking about triathlon and things. And um, because her husband's quite into triathlon and I had said, oh, I'm doing this half Ironman. She's like, why don't you do the full? (laughs) And I was like... Ah, oh, it's a very good question. Actually, I don't really have an excuse. To, no, you don't have an excuse. All right. Uh, so then I, I had switched up to the full. So that was going to be the target in June. And then, you know, when the shit hit the fan, um, just I obviously hadn't haven't hadn't swum for ages um I started doing yoga every single morning uh, back in March and did that all the way through till August pretty much so five days a week Monday to Friday so I'm certainly more flexible now mm-hmm. biking and running yeah that's all been fine but for me a lot of 2020 was then just ticking over to be honest and just maintaining fitness rather than doing anything crazy at all I'd say I've got a few goals now which would be what did I want to do yeah I wanted to get back in the pool three days a week and I had been doing that I wanted to do more strength and conditioning. Um, so yeah, I've been doing that. Yeah, I just I just feel I don't feel as fit as I have at all, but I I'm not injured either. So it's kind of a uh, it's it's in an okay place, basically. <laughs> uh, we touched on um your role within Move briefly. Do, do you want to explain to our listeners a, a bit more about that? 
Yeah. So Move is a Move charity and it um, supports 13 to 30 year olds who have been affected by cancer. So I work as a cancer rehabilitation specialist, which means, you know, I've got all my personal trainer qualifications, but then this is a specialist cancer role. So you understand more about different cancers and the impact that the treatment has. And then it's about, right, how can you help people to exercise and move effectively and safely, you know, what they can do, what they can't do. So I work three days a week doing that. So we have an eight week virtual training program effectively, which I look after. So People are referred to us or they refer themselves if they've finished their treatment. And then I work one-on-one with them for eight weeks. We talk on the phone. I'll write them a training program. And it's just, it's amazing. It's really, really amazing. It's sort of hit me recently. Just when I was working at the BBC, I don't know, there was almost more negativity. Perhaps sometimes you didn't really ever feel like you were making a difference or doing a particularly good job at anything whereas with this over eight weeks it's mad you can literally someone will say you've changed my life during that eight week period and so you I very much feel like wow I am making a difference um it's totally humbling to to do it and I feel really privileged that I can actually help those people um yeah and, and you just realize wow that the power of exercise and of movement is just insane. It's mad, really, really mad. So yeah, it's it's emotionally draining. I'd mm. say that the job very much emotionally draining. I think during lockdown in particular, uh, or this year, like referrals went bonkers because services just weren't there for for people so we had a hell of a lot of referrals and it's such a small charity that it was yeah it was really hard work um but it's I know it's really valuable and I love it and yeah but I don't think equally I don't think I could do that five days a week I think I'd find it too draining which is why I love the mix of doing things like the podcast tiny little bit of coaching and then move and then you know a few other bits and bobs and then I really really like the variety yeah we've got good good balance I think you know touched on that at the beginning about do do things that you love I think finding balance is really really important for us all and you seem to be seem to have uh, hit that nail on the head at the moment well, my my husband Rich would probably say I don't really have that balance. <laughs> <laughs> he would probably say you can't switch off, and I'd say no, I know <laughs> it's true. So yeah, I do sometimes struggle to to switch off, and then when you are working for yourself, I think it is really difficult to switch off because yeah. if you don't do something, well then you don't get paid. So yeah. you need to make a living as well. So yeah, that that. I'm still working on that balance front and I'm not always very good at saying no. Yeah, I'm guilty of that sometimes too. So switching off for you, would that be a, would that be a run along the coast? Would that oh, that would be amazing. You? Yeah, so switching off would probably be, I think, yeah, you, you've got it bang on there. A perfect day in, in Helen's world would be a sunny run for sure. Maybe a little dip in the sea. No, I'm not going to say dip in the sea. That's 
rubbish because I'm scared of what's in there. So let's not say that. <laughs> let's say if there's like, a mountain lake or something, like, yeah, then I'd, then I'd go in there. And then maybe like a cold beer at the end of the day in the sunshine, that would be quite nice. But switching off at the moment in the UK when it's like not holidays, oh, it's just a bit of rubbish TV, like Bake Off or uh, Strictly, uh, just something like pure escapism is is what I'm after. And then I, I like talking to friends or at the moment, clearly we can't, but catching up with friends, that yeah. kind of stuff. That is like people person Helen absolutely I'm not bothered too much about I don't watch loads and loads of TV I try and learn a little bit of Welsh which you know because you've been helping me <laughs> well I don't know about helping um, you're doing a lot of that yourself interestingly the the way we got connected was because of a, a mutual friend that I met on a Welsh course I know I know <laughs> and I'm yet to go to this Welsh language prison but I think I want to go there certainly not prison it was a it was, a wonderful week, massively mentally draining. It was just Camrag five days, morning to night, no English at all. So it was pretty full on. But um, yeah, what I'd say that sounds like my idea of heaven. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's right on a beach, right on the coast too. So plenty of coastal runs available. I want to go. It's gonna, it's gonna be a mission in life. I'm gonna get to the Welsh language school, and I'm gonna come out, and I'm gonna be fluent. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Another goal. Another goal in the uh, in the notebook. A lot of people might not be aware of your coaching qualifications and the fact that you you do do some coaching outside of Move as well. If people are looking for a coach um, for try or for the individual disciplines, what three questions should we be asking a potential coach? Something along the lines of communication. How are you going to be communicating with that person? Because I think communications really really important is it a generic training plan that they're going to give you mm-hmm. like what are they actually going to give you because yeah i think generic training plans might work for some people but actually if i think you can kind of get into a bit of a hole as well with a generic plan and and if you've got something that works around your life and actually completely focused on your goals then I think you'll be far more successful than a generic training plan and then who who else are they coaching how many people are they are they coaching what what can they offer you how can they help you uh, and how can they work with you I think some of those things are really really important like you need to have a chat like are you going to get on with that person do you have the same values um so I've given you more than three but (laughs) that's great I'm sure people would be really grateful for that definitely talk 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 like how do they bring any strength and conditioning into it or mobility given the importance of those things do they ignore it completely do they signpost you somewhere else which is equally absolutely perfect to do that things like that like they might have all the publicity in the world but do they actually care about you as a person Mm. great earlier on i put you on the spot and asked you for to name your favorite guest what i'm going to ask you now is the top three lessons that you may have learned from guests over the over the last 12 months what stood out for you and that's maybe caused you to take stock and go do you know what actually i need to start doing more of that or less of that so the recent guests Chris Hendy about strength and conditioning 
sort of starting and building up gradually. I think that was what I took from him the most. So there's very much, I know that strength and conditioning work is really important, especially once we, especially as females and especially once we hit 30. So I, I know that that is really important and that lifting heavy stuff is key, but actually from what I took from Chris is you can't just go straight to that. You have to build up to it. And I was like, oh yeah, that's actually really, really um, reassuring. So that would be the the key thing that I took from Chris. Luke Grenfell Shaw, who I mentioned earlier, just his attitude towards life, like you can't change what has happened, but you can control how you live today. Mm. I was blown away after the interview with him. And then I think um, I really liked talking to Katrina Matthews because she was very, very honest, but also as a professional, she's very big on balance and taking the time to spend with her husband and saying, you know, I can go to the pub and I'll take my recovery shake mm-hmm. in the car on the way. But actually that's really important to me and that makes me happy. So it's that element of, yeah, finding that fine balance and you can still do that as a professional and be successful. Great. God, being put on the spot like that is hard, isn't it? <laughs> I gave you the option to, to see the question <laughs> first, but you turned it down. <laughs> it's like, no, no, we're just going to do it. <laughs> yeah, the next two questions it might overlap a little bit, but what are the top three events that you've taken part in and why? Okay, so definitely, definitely up there is the Engadine Cross Country Ski Marathon, just because it's totally bonkers. So it is a cross country ski marathon. It's in a beautiful corner of Switzerland. So it's 42 kilometers on skis. Am I rubbish? Absolutely. (laughs) Is it crazy? Yes, Uh, because it's so far beyond my comfort zone. And you might say, what, so you can ski? Well, I would question that, but I can move on a pair of, uh, (laughs) like, I always have to put it into perspective. The winners would do this thing in about an hour and a half, so faster than a normal running marathon. Like They are properly good. I'm sure it took me more like four and a half hours, and I can do a marathon in under 315 so um that tells you how rubbish i am on skis but yeah anyway so that and then similarly the dart 10k swim would be up there and again it would be along the lines of for a similar reason i'm not sure if i can do this and 10k swimming is a very very long way um but we we loved it so yeah rich and i did that together i think that's now two years ago and it was just so well organized and really good fun and you swim 10 kilometers down the river dart in devon so yeah and then oh it's a tricky one right so i am an uk in 2016 i'd say if you look at the results like I did way better than I would ever have expected to do. So that was amazing. And there were lots of club mates out cheering us on and that kind of thing. So in terms of the result, that one, I'm so proud of it. In terms of actually having so many people there who meant loads to me, even though the result wasn't 
as good as I had hoped for. And this is why it's, you know, you'll always be disappointed if you just go on the result. Mm. I am in Wales in 2017 because my mum and dad were there. My brother and his wife were there and they were in the middle of moving from Canada to Australia. So they had about a week at home. So they still came down and cheered on. So that was amazing. Chrissy came to cheer on, which was incredible. And then other club mates as well were cheering on. And yeah, it was just, I didn't have the best day. I mean, the run was awful. But yeah, having that support. Yeah, yeah, and that was just pretty magical. And and being in Wales as well, um, yeah, it was kind of cool. Nice. That sounds lovely. It well, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Retrospectively. The weather was it was hideous. It was Grim. really, really hideous. It was, yeah, horrible, horrible conditions. The reason I said this might overlap, it hasn't done, but I'm gonna talk to you about another thing that you've done. when we've talked about the social media and the marketing of the show we've spoken a lot um outside of this interview about try sharing um and you you've found that people love talking about the kind of adventures they've been on and the events that they've been doing um so i would like you now then to talk about your time i think you were at radio radio shropshire in 2008 when you yeah. were on the river seven <laughs> yeah so this is why it's quite interesting, Rich, because when I would have said before, oh, I was quite into running, and but the triathlon didn't really start until 2011. But I really was. I already had started doing like really stupid things. <laughs> One of them being 2008, a colleague and I, it was my idea. We ran the length of the River Seven, which runs from Wales all the way down to near Bristol. It's 210 miles, I think, and we did 105 each. So it's my colleague, Adam Green, and I. And so Adam would maybe run seven miles or eight miles in the morning. I would run seven or eight straight after him. Then we would have lunch, and then we would do another seven or eight each in the afternoon for seven days. We didn't even have trail shoes. Like (laughs) It was just crazy. And we were gathering stories along the way, so we had to work as well and we were writing blogs um and doing interviews with people who lived near or along the river so whether that was a vineyard in mid wales or the history of worcester when we ran through worcester it's one of those things that you think wow we got paid for running the length of the river seven (laughs) and gathering stories along the way i remember the final day like the lack of sleep had taken its toll and I remember I remember Adam's dad went and bought a sandwich and it had mayonnaise in it and I was just like I can't put that anywhere near me like by that point you you really know what you do or don't want to eat and I was like that will make me want to vomit I can't go near it and just that delirium of uh, am I falling asleep like I'm running through am I running through a cow field now right by a service station near the motorway are these cows running with me I don't know what's happening <laughs> So yeah, we did it somehow. And most people will think you're bonkers. Even people that race will think that's madness. But yeah. Shall I let you into a secret? Go on. I really want to do it again, but the whole thing. (laughs) I've got my eye on the Cambrian Way next year, if you fancy that. Uh, Never say never. I mean, I meant to be doing Lakesman Full, but... Cardiff Castle's a Conway Castle via basically every mountain range in Wales. 
God, that sounds great. <laughs> Not much coast in it, though. Like I say, Rich, never say never. <laughs> Mum, if you're listening, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'd like to get a bit of insight into like a big lesson that maybe you've learned, whether it's um, a mistake that you made that you've learned hugely from or some kind of secret source that's got you to where you are today. But has there been anything like quite significant that you've gone, right, that has been a real game changer, whether it at the time was a horrendous experience or whether it was a real positive experience? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's it's probably the last few years and actually having the guts to jump from the BBC hmm. and to keep going when you have made that jump and know that it will be okay. I guess for a couple of years I had been quite unhappy and I think I remember I'll never forget on the um I was working at the Commonwealth Games in 2018 on the Gold Coast and just a colleague was literally just yelling at me and I was just thinking like why am I putting up with this shit like I don't I don't need to what I'm in the most amazing place and (laughs) and this is just kind of crazy and I remember thinking no this is honestly like you can still do amazing things but you don't need to be treated in that way. Like, and so something like that, when you really take a bit of a, like a blow to your confidence, but then you are strong enough within yourself to follow that instinct and go, no, that's okay. That whole period has been amazing, but there's other stuff now that's going to make me happier and actually being happy is really, really important. Mm-hmm. So I think it it is that and following that instinct that if something isn't quite right, so even with, you know, with the other podcasts that I did for, for that time, actually it did get to the point, I don't think I'm happy doing this anymore. I want to be happy that, and, and that's it. So just trust your instincts, have a good network of people around you okay so you can bounce off them and they can reassure you and then go for it life is too short not to life is too short to be unhappy so just go for it and trust yourself and use those people around you i'm glad you touched on that having that team of people around you because i I was about to ask you you know there might be people listening that are in a similar situation where they're really not enjoying themselves and their confidence is quite low so when you're in that position, it's impossible to find the confidence to make that step beyond. So it's interesting that you highlight the fact that it was the people that you had around you. I don't know whether you've heard this phrase before, but a few people have mentioned it, that we, we, are, the, we are like the five or six people that we see the most. Yeah. So if you are in quite a toxic environment, then it'd be really difficult to find your way out of that. But if you're away from that, associating with people that make you happy and love you and care for you and uh, doing things right by you, then that hopefully will give you that step, step in stones really to, to break free. Massively. You need those people who believe in you and who know you and know like you can trust them as well. And, and if you are having a day when you're thinking, Oh, you know, I'm like, I'm rubbish or whatever, just pick up the phone and talk to those people who will G you up a little bit and say, you're bloody amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We all need people around us that will do that. 
Exactly. We mentioned cake earlier. We did. Yeah. Back to cake, and I only—I think I only learned this yesterday or the day before—that you've got a couple of books around the topics of cake. Can we talk about that? Yeah, so uh, I was trying to raise £3,000 before I turned 30 and I was doing various challenges. So like the cross-country ski marathon, like climbing Kilimanjaro, entering my first uh, triathlon and then the half Ironman and I got up to about two grand and I was like, oh, I can't ask people to sponsor me anymore. And I'd always quite liked baking and so I'd take cake into work and someone said, Helen, you should sell this stuff. I was like, really? Yeah, pound a piece. So I started taking cake in and saying pound a piece and it was for charity. And um, this same colleague then said, you should do a book, Helen. <laughs> I was like, no. Like, yeah, yeah, you should write a recipe book. People would love it, you know. And I was like, oh, maybe he's onto something. <laughs> so that um, led to Fueled by Cake. And I think I raised £9,000 from that. So got various different uh, sports stars and then friends and family to give me their favorite cake recipe or like an easy cake recipe and put it together. And then even once that one had been done, I was like, oh, there's totally going to be a second book. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, then Fueled by More Cake was born. And that I started when I got back from the Rio Olympics, so 2016. And then earlier this year, I yeah, transferred the money to all the charities. So from that one, uh, or in total, raised nearly £25,000 from the two amazing. books. It's amazing. Yeah. So the second one, um, I still have a few copies, but I've taken the website down because I don't have enough copies left to justify uh, another year of, of the website. So if anyone does want one, I really do mean there are a few copies. Just email me, helen at insidetrishow.com, and I can sort out, we can sort out um, getting that out. How, how much demand would you need to do another print run? Oh, geez, like loads. <laughs> loads yeah. and loads and loads of demand. <laughs> you heard you heard it, guys. Get emailing. <laughs> no, there's too there's so much work. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could cope with a podcast and fueled by... Still fueled by cake. <laughs> Still fueled by cake. There you go. That's book three. I know. Yeah, it's all right. We've had we've had many. There's been still fueled by cake. There's been powered by pie. Would be you know book four. <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> November 2019 is when you launched the podcast. You were visiting your brother in Australia at the time. What do you think you will be doing this November when you celebrate 12 months of podcasting? probably thinking I really really wish I could be in Australia visiting my brother right now but uh, (laughs) global circumstances uh, mean that yeah who knows when we're going to see people in Australia again that's Mm. kind of sad Um, there's a footpath near us or a a trail let's say and I this is like my lockdown two goal I'd like to run all of that over a weekend but it'll be covered it'll be so muddy it'll be horrible it's it's just a real local thing um okay. it's called laureen's ride oh. and they have a they have a cheshire cheese loop and they have the heritage loop so it was designed for more for horse riding yeah um some really narrow lanes other bits of running across fields and bridleways and things like that so it'll be disgusting underfoot at this time of year but yeah that, that that'll be one thing that i intend to do i'm trying to embrace my inner norwegian so um 
Maybe a fire, perhaps, with a nice glass of red wine, I reckon. Nice. I have got through my interrogation. Great. Well, it was a very enjoyable interrogation. Yeah, I loved it. Thanks for, for letting me interview you. No, it's, 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 it's a special, it's a... special episode, yeah. It's been a real privilege. Thank you. It's quite scary being on the other end, isn't it? Because you're not really sure what someone's going to come out with and you've got to think on your feet a lot. So apologies to um, <laughs> to everyone who has been on the podcast and who <laughs> will be coming on the podcast. But it's cool. It's a conversation, right? Yeah. And that's, what's, that's what makes the world go around, isn't it? Conversations. So if we have more of them, I think we'll be living in a much better place. Jochen Vaud And Pemboy Happis. Jochen Vaud. Happy birthday. For real. <laughs> so there you go. Hopefully you learned something about me that you didn't know before. Hopefully you're still listening. Um, and yeah, that was my little bit of Welsher to finish off. I am nearly on now a day 30 of a 30-day learning streak. It's very exciting. I'm loving it. And today I can tell you that I don't wear winter clothes in July. Dwi ddim yn gwisgo dillad gaeaf mis there you go. Lowry, let me know. Is it any good? But anyway, talking of clothes and specifically sports clothes, this next short interview might just change the way that you think about the piles of kit stuffed into your cupboards and drawers. Don't tell me it's just me because I do not believe that. <laughs> You're probably like me. I don't even know how many drawers of lycra I have, but it's way too much. And the the wood is literally bulging because there is far too much lycra in there. But yeah, this next conversation might make you think, might make me think quite how much you've got, what you do with your old race shirts, how much you really need, and the little things that we can all do to help the environment when it comes to our crazy obsession with lycra. Rob Webben is the CEO of Presca Sportswear and alongside Guy Whitby, one of the original founders, Presca Sportswear have a big, bold vision and that is to be the market leader in sustainable sportswear. So that's performance sportswear. If you think about outdoor clothing, there's only one name that comes to mind if you talk about sustainability and and that's Patagonia. There isn't really anyone doing that in in performance sportswear. Six years ago when we started, it was all about um, using recycled fabrics and uh, this my background is in sustainability consulting and not in the clothing industry so Guy and I we were researching how you know whether anyone on the market in cycling and triathlon is using these more sustainable fabrics and we just couldn't really find anyone so we thought yeah of course we, you know we'll, we'll dive in two feet and, and try and set up a clothing company why not <laughs> that's where we started and that's a really fantastic way to reduce the impact of the clothing you make because recycled fabrics have lower energy requirements to make them, they require less water to make them. You're not using raw materials, you're, you're kind of intercepting, say, plastic bottles or fishing nets before they go to land landfill or being incinerated. So that's a brilliant starting point. Guy, I'll come to you. Um, I know that some like some of your t-shirts has been, have been made from plastic bottles. At the beginning, it was fishing nets, wasn't it? What other materials can you actually make clothes from? Because this is fascinating anything really we we follow a lot of different kind of researchers and academics and all of this and there's some some really wacky fabrics out there made from seaweed and things like that but for us it's performance is key so quite often these projects are kind of a, a proof of concept really to kind of show and show off on a catwalk that we can make a we can make a product out of this really sustainable one-off fabric but actually 
the important bit of for it, especially in in our world of triathlon and cycling, is that it's got to perform at that at that performance level. So that's why we've stuck to originally using recycled ocean plastic, sort of old fishing nets and, and recycled carpets, the nylon from carpets with our um, lycra shorts and things. Back in 2014, we were using recycled plastic in the jerseys. And as we progress now, we're trying to take as much of el- elastane out of the products as possible because. As we move on to the next step of looking at circular circularity in garments and making sure they're recyclable at the end of their life, we need to kind of get get as close to as we can to a mono material and make the the garments themselves as as recyclable as, as easy as possible to recycle. Are they as comfortable as your normal Castelli or Rafa or whatever Nike Adidas sports kit? I'd say so. Yeah, hundred percent. You would you wouldn't tell the difference. Yeah, also on that. So. When you look at, say, a, a material from recycled plastic bottles, it's exactly the same chemical composition as a polyester from making crude oil. And where we're hoping to get to, and the projects we're working on now, is actually taking old textiles back into brand new textiles, but of virgin quality. So, yeah, like Guy says, you'd never, you wouldn't notice. And when we started, it was really a kind of a customer education piece, like, have a look at a jersey made from recycled plastic bottles. And everyone's going, oh, recycled plastic bottles, all right. Kind of imagine it would be super scratchy and not very nice, but actually we use the same mills as Rafa and Castelli and, and all the big guys. So it's, these are mills with real expertise in making sportswear fabrics and they're amazing materials. Why does sustainability matter? I mean, I, I watched the um, recent David Attenborough film on, on Netflix and was just like, whoa. So I did a degree in environmental science kind of when climate change was just getting big on the agenda, I suppose. And even then, it was very clear to me that you know, we as a civilization are, are heading quite a bad, into quite a bad place in terms of climate change and resource use and overpopulation and all these things. I think, honestly, the only way that we can hope to survive and thrive as a, as a civilization is by reducing our impacts on the planet, greenhouse gas emissions, water use and pollution, resource use. Um, and, you know, for us, I suppose that is absolutely embodied in what we're trying to do. So, for example, our, our jersey out of recycled plastic bottles, then you're, you're talking 40% of the greenhouse gas emissions of a standard jersey. You're obviously not using any raw materials, much less water use. These are stepping stones towards being a sustainable, a truly sustainable company in terms of producing clothing. If we can be shown to be leading the way in terms of what can be doing, or what's possible to reduce that impact, then you know, I feel like we've been going the right direction. Do you find in particular with sportswear, I mean, I have at least three drawers of Lycra and that's just me, right? There's probably more in another drawer somewhere else. But I think for triathletes in particular, we get through a load of kit. What can we do? I heard this incredible fact the other day, talking to a guy who's an expert on nylon. He said for every tonne of nylon, so basically your your Lycra, plus the elastane that goes into it, every tonne of nylon, you make four tonnes of waste. So... It's a horrendous, horrendous like use of materials and waste of materials. So, so what can we do? Well, you can buy from companies that are making from recycled fabrics, point one. Buy well, I think, if you invest in clothing that you're going to value and really look after and to, to, to make it last a lot longer, that is so important compared to just buying, you know, you know the cheapest dry suit you can or, or a 15 quid cycling jersey from a you know from a knockoff discount brand or whatever uh, i think that's super important from a day-to-day point of view of looking after it wash it cooler don't want tumble dry because tumble drying is really bad for the environment in terms of energy use but it's also really bad for your clothes because if you think about it you're just smashing your clothes around in high heat for ages but look i've got a family and 
Poor kids, we watch so much stuff, and sometimes you just got to put the tumble dryer on, haven't you? <laughs> you can't beat yourself up too much about all these things. It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I think events companies are getting a lot better at this because I, I look in my drawer and I've got, I've got event, uh, sort of events T-shirts from like on my first Ironman, and I just treasure that that thing forever because it's the first Ironman I did, and it's falling apart, got holes in it, but I'm not. That's not going in the bin. But then I look. I've got stuff in my drawer. Oh, I was a marshal at some event, and they've given me this T-shirt to wear for marshalling. I'm not probably not going to wear a fresh orange T-shirt when I go out for a run. So, <laughs> so when we're looking at clothing for an event or, or things like that, we've got to kind of look at what what we're going to do with that. Do we? Does that really need to be made? That, that can that be passed on? Can that be used next year? Just because it's cheap and you can get it, it, it's sometimes easier just to order a load more garments than it is to really think about the, the more difficult job of getting those in and, and spread out again. It's just really thinking about your, your your clothing choices and really buying to a brand that you you believe in and believe in their ethos and you you are good, prepared to keep it in keep it for a long time. And then, I guess from our point of view, as a company, we probably Rob better speak about this. But in terms of the recycling project, we're we're looking at to, to be able to take garments back at the end of life. Yeah, I was going. I wanted to touch on that. I'm intrigued actually by this idea of a circular model. Do I order a T-shirt from you, get sweaty, get, you know, absolutely wear it out, and then can I send it back? Yeah, that's the idea. That's where we want to head, absolutely. So the circular economy more widely is the idea that we don't take resource, natural resources from, from the earth and just put them into landfill at the end of life, but we keep them in use for as long as possible. Uh, and there's loads of different models around that. I mean, in, so in the world, we use 100 billion tonnes of stuff now over that each year, and eight percent of it is circular or something so every year we're wasting 92 billion tons of stuff which is pretty awful we have to be much smarter with our resource use so for us in our little sports and microcosm it's all about being able to use fabrics and materials in a completely closed loop as much as possible so yeah you'll buy a t-shirt from us right now we can do this with t-shirts and we're looking at how we do it with tri suits and with bib shorts and with all the other things that go along with our beloved sports you'll either wear it till it's falling apart or you'll wear it till you're bored of it and then you'll give it to someone else who'll wear it till it falls apart but when it is genuinely falling apart then you can send it back to us and we can put it into a, this amazing chemical recycling process we've got which allows us to break it back down into its kind of chemical building blocks and then we can start again we can make a fiber we can make a yarn we can make a fabric and then a, a, a finished garment of the same quality as the first one you wore so where we get to that point for all of our garments then we'll have a fully closed loop on all our clothing. I think this is so exciting. And because, Guy, I mean, I don't know if you still do triathlons as well. And I don't know if you're like me, you probably have a pair of shorts which you wear all the time on the turbo and they get thinner and thinner and just really, really <laughs> pong. So the idea <laughs> of being able to then reuse them rather than either having to like you can give it to charity or you might put it in the charity bag but you think really no one wants to wear that it's just going to go in the bin so to it's be able to do something with it oh. it's a toughie isn't it when you've had to have those awkward conversations with someone you've been following on a bike saying uh might, might be time you change those bib shorts mate like, <laughs> we're looking at all sorts in terms of when we look at designing a pair of bib shorts like the, quite often the, the pad is something that doesn't last as long as the lycra perhaps so that we're looking at ways to how we can potentially change change the change the pad as you go through its its life cycle um but yeah that ability to be able to to send that back when it really has got to the end of its life because let's face it, it, it 
things do smell eventually and, and you, you can't keep you can't keep them forever. We're looking at uh, innovative ways to kind of treat the fabrics and treat them on a polymer scale, a molecular scale to sort of decrease the, the, the smell and the, the bacteria that forms on them. Um, so we can we'll do everything we can to kind of give that longevity in the in the in in use stage. But but at the end of it, there does need to be a a mindset change of actually this this garment can be recycled. This garment can be passed on if it's not a pair of stinky bib, bib shorts. But um, but it's just I think it, for us it's just a raising awareness that actually yeah this does have an impact when you chuck this in the bin and uh, th there is another way. I think think about its next step. Yeah, because if we can show, you know, right, when those when those bib shorts are either so so horrendously stinky that you just <laughs> you couldn't bear to do anything with them, or actually they are see through and no one wants to struggle behind you anymore for that reason. Um, but send them back, and we can really actually do something with them. You know, I got to say, there's loads of companies on the high street now who are saying, you know, give us your old clothing, and you know, you'll get a ten pound discount or whatever, and we'll do something amazing with it. And then when you look into it. You know, they're just getting shipped off to secondhand clothing or landfill, or I suppose where we're trying to get to is that we can show, yeah, you can do it with every piece of garment, and here's how. Um, and that, when we get there, that's massively exciting. But it's it's a difficult concept, isn't it? This gets so complicated, doesn't it? Because, like, you asked what what is circularity? It's it's not something that kind of races the front of people's minds, and yeah. I think it's as we go through the years, these concepts become more second nature to us all, and people make more positive decisions with their with all their garments and, and belongings rob you touched on um price earlier clearly you can nip down to aldi or Lidl and go and get a really cheap rubbish top but it's quality isn't it and it's that sustainability idea so price wise how does it stack up to your more quality sports kit out there i guess we'd we'd call ourselves mid-range quality price certainly not trying to price ourselves out of the budget of everyone because then sustainability is only for the um, for the elite and it's not actually achievable. So I think we have to have a price model that works for a lot of people. But at the same time, you know, you're paying a good amount so that actually you value your clothing and, and also a good amount because our fabrics cost, say, four times more than something from a virgin source and our labour's more expensive and, you know, we, we incur additional costs throughout what we do because we're trying to operate better. And then, Guy, where does where is everything made? I say 90% of our fabrics come from Italy, so the premium fabric mills in Italy. And then we manufacture in the UK and Europe as well. So part of the sustainability message is trying to reduce that that carbon footprint of tr travel and freight as well. So, yeah, at the, at the moment we manufacture across Europe. And then do you actually ship out then across Europe and internationally or do you try to keep it orders local? No, we ship we ship globally, but we do offset the carbon emissions for for all the postage so we calculate the carbon impact of shipping and then we off offset that as we do and we, we do that for all of our travel as well so if we, we travel to a conference or something like that we offset off all our carbon of that and we yeah we try and we try and bring not just the recycled and the recycling across the company but all the other aspects of sustainability as well so the, yeah, the way we treat people and the way we look after our staff and the way we, we we treat our suppliers and our customers it's kind of it's intertwined in everything we do I like, I like that reference there, material intertwined. Yeah. Just, <laughs> that's, that's clever. <laughs> Honestly, I love your ethos and I cannot wait to, yeah, see this circular product kind of evolving and, and everything that you're doing and, and hopefully all of us a little bit by bit 
trying to be that little bit more sustainable. So yeah, keep up the good work. Awesome. Thank you, Helen. That was Rob Webben, CEO, and Guy Whitby from Prescott Sportswear, who are offering you 15% off most of the collection with the code INSIDETRY, all uppercase. And that's over at prescottsportswear.com. There is a link in the show notes as well for this episode over at insidetryshow.com. But yeah, let's have a little think about actually what we do when it comes to sustainability and the environment and all of our sports kit. Thanks for listening to the Inside Try Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Try Show. Keep me posted on what you are up to at the moment. I did a nice steady run this morning and for the first time in a few days, felt amazing. It was great. You know when you have those runs and you're like, oh, this doesn't feel too hard today. It was just a steady endurance run, but I loved it. And even better, so I was running away listening to some reggaeton and a guy on his bike came up to me and said, I just heard the words podcast. And I looked and I was like, oh, are you, are you in my tri club? No, I listened to your podcast. This is down a rural lane in Cheshire. <laughs> I was like, how do you know? So yeah, hi, Mike. It was very nice to meet you today. Random, but lovely. So thanks. It cheered me up. It, it made a good run even better. Keith, you said that you've been doing a monster S&C session. Luke, we're going back to open water swimming. He says, thanks to Kate, I've been enjoying more open swimming than I would have braved before. It's a mini challenge to overcome each time I get into the water. And that is exactly how I feel about it. And I have still been going and we are going again tomorrow. And the thought of it, oh, makes me a little bit cold. But yeah, as ever, it's that challenge of trying to get in there and then it'll be a lot of breaststroke. A lot of breaststroke. Brit, I think it's a belated happy birthday to you. I think you were listening to the Chrissy Wellington episode uh, before your birthday. Jess, you've done your first ever Zwift ride. Yes, get in. And you said, I'd still rather get outside, but I can certainly see why people get addicted. And talking of firsts, I have just got my first ever power meter. Oh, this is quite exciting. Anyway, don't forget, come and join me for virtual mulled wine and mince pies on Friday, December the 11th. You have to be an existing patron or you can sign up to be a new patron. So support the show, support what I do. Patreon.com forward slash Inside Try Show. And yeah, we're going to have a virtual meetup, mulled wine, mince pies, BYO. And you'll be able to... I don't know, have another glimpse behind the scenes, get the goss, pick my brains. It'll be nice. It'll be good fun. Right. Use the code inside try at checkout for 15% off most of the collection at prescasportswear.com. If like me, you are addicted to nut butters, then you can get 10% off with the code inside try 10. That one's all lowercase over at resilientnutrition.com. 33fuel.com also support the show. And they offer you a discount as well. Inside Try 33 is that one. And then as ever, the lovely James at comfuel.co.uk will give you 20% off all sorts of different sports, nutrition, water bottles, face masks, whatever you're after. They will have it. Comfuel.co.uk. Thank you so much for helping me get to one year of the Inside Try Show podcast. Look after yourself. Look after those around you. 
Keep me posted and we'll speak again soon. Podcast Network.